from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA program for executives here in Philadelphia. And I'm laughing at Michelle, who's dancing behind the window. But Michelle and Dion are here, the dream team, and taking your calls right now at 844-WHARTON. 844-942-7866. So go ahead and call if it's Thursday noon Eastern time. We are live and we look forward to your calls all hour. So um, first I want to make a quick announcement that next Thursday, October 19th is our 100th episode. So we will be live on Thursday, October 19th talking about all of our greatest tips. We're going to have some special guests call in. Of course, we couldn't have a 100th episode without Dion's best quiz answers. Um, They're all right. They are. I think they are. I mean, we've heard that from people that they think they are all right, but we'll have... person. (laughs) All right. A person. It's also someone's birthday on that day. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of people who have a birthday on October. (laughs) Someone's special. (laughs) See, that's why we're doing our 100th show, so we can sort of kind of over just just sort of gloss over that but but yeah it's going to be a really fun show if you've been listening to the show for a while we'd love for you to call in or tweet a tip at dr don graham what's you know something you learned from the show or an outcome or or just you know hey giving uh some additional advice that you've learned that might help somebody else so that's next thursday october 19th but today we have a great episode and if it's thursday we are live taking your calls 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 so Nationwide, the rate of autism spectrum disorder and Asperger's has been increasing. If this is something you're not very clear about or you're not sure what it means or even how it impacts you, you are going to want to stay tuned for today's show because today we have two great experts who are going to educate you and talk about how if it's the workplace or hiring whatever environment you're in, um, you can take action to move forward and learn more about this. And I'm going to be very honest, full disclosure, that I am one of the people out there who has a lot to learn about this. So I'm super excited about this show, and I'm super excited to introduce our two guests. So here we go. Let's dive in. Barbara Bissonette is a certified coach and the principal of Forward Motion Coaching, where she provides career coaching and workplace advocacy for individuals with Asperger's syndrome and similar autism spectrum profiles. She offers consultation and training for organizations on how to utilize the skills of employees with Asperger's syndrome and is the author of The Complete Guide to Getting a Job for People with Asperger's Syndrome. We also have in studio Dr. Ted Bracken, and he is a professor of psychiatry and the director and founder of the Adult Autism Spectrum Program at the University of Pennsylvania right here. Since 1993, Dr. Brodkin has been involved in clinical assessment and care of adults with ASD, and since 1995, he's been conducting neuroscience research relevant to ASD and social behavior development. He's a graduate of Harvard Medical School and the author of numerous publications, and we are so excited to have you both on the show. Thanks, Don. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. Well, welcome to both of you. And I want to dive right in because I think this is a topic that, you know, probably can't even be sufficiently covered in in an hour. And I think we need to start with with defining, you know, autistic spectrum disorder, because, you know, as as a psychologist myself, I've kind of been looking at the DSM, the uh, Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and it's like this has changed so much over the last 100 years. And so I think we are still trying to figure out and understand this. And, um, you know, one of the things I'll admit in full disclosure, like this is something that I'm still learning about. And, you know, I think as as people, regardless of, of whether it's something like this or, you know, somebody has a loved one die or something, you know, when we are 
are not fully sure or comfortable with the topic, what we tend to do is avoid it. So we tend to kind of step back. And that's why I want to do today's show, because I think this is important. And I think there are a lot of people who are stepping back and saying, I don't understand this. So the best thing for me to do is just kind of look the other way. And I think that's that's not the right answer at all. So um, so, Ted, let's start with you. Sure. Um, so from a medical perspective, like, mm-hmm. can you, you know, how do you define this, this kind of broad set of, of spectrum disorders? Mm-hmm. So autism spectrum disorder is a very, very broad spectrum, but um, the commonalities are a pattern of, um, of traits in which people have difficulties. Number one, there's two main domains. Number one is difficulties in social interaction. So social communication, um, making use of verbal and nonverbal social communication, understanding other people's nonverbal social cues, um, things like being able to initiate and maintain a conversation, um, form relationships. So that's sort of the social domain, number one. And then there are issues in what's called the domain of restricted and repetitive stereotype behaviors. So that might be things like repetitive movements. It might be things like um, sticking to a very strict routine every day. Or, if, you know, if, if you need to deviate from that routine, it's very, very stressful. Um, it can be things like very, very, very focused interests that take up a lot of time um, and sometimes a pattern of sensitivity or hyposensitivity to sensory stimuli. So so it's those two main domains of social interaction and restricted and repetitive behaviors. But as I said, it's a really, really broad spectrum, and it's very what we call heterogeneous. So um, there's this saying, when you've met one person on the spectrum, you've met one person on the spectrum, <laughs> meaning it's really hard to generalize and say everyone on the spectrum has this or everyone on the spectrum has that. There's a lot of individual differences. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and as I was looking at the um, the DSM and way back when, I mean, this was in 1908, this was initially classified as, as childhood schizophrenia. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, that is like wildly inaccurate. And of course, at the time, that's the information that we had. And, you know, over time, we've, we've kind of uh, expanded it and kind of closed it back down. And I think the, the key point that I think for, for people who are not in this field and, and kind of just need to have the, you know, what do I need to know? Mm-hmm. I think you hit the nail on the head, which is that there is no one diagnosis. You know, when, like, for example, a lot of people think about Rain Man, which really raised the awareness. And they mm-hmm. think about that movie that came out in 1988. And now he, uh, Dustin Hoffman, was an autistic savant. Right. So a lot of people think, oh, that's what this is. Mm-hmm. And and that that is one on, like you said, a very broad spectrum. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I've heard a statistic, something on the order of 10 percent of people on the spectrum have a what what sometimes people call a savant skill or sort of an outstanding skill mm-hmm. in one area. But that's certainly not everyone on the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Barbara, so you've um, you're a coach, and you specifically fo- focus on this population. Can you give us a little bit of background about about um, when you started to do that, and and why you saw that as important? Yeah, and actually, I fell into this coaching niche kind of by accident. I happened to attend a workshop uh, on that was talking about Asperger's syndrome. I had heard a little bit about it, and said, "Gee, I'll attend for my own interest." And uh, I was just literally sitting on the edge of my chair. Uh, It was so fascinating. And I said, gee, in my corporate career, I even after that brief introduction, I said, I am almost certain that I have worked with some people who have Asperger's syndrome. All right, and this was 11 years ago. And I started talking to people and, and some professionals in the area. And everyone was saying to me, you know, you're trained as a coach. Uh, you know, you've had a successful corporate career. Maybe you could help some of these individuals who have such a hard time getting hired, and they could really use your expertise. And, you know, at that time, everyone was saying, no one's really addressing employment. So I made the decision to go ahead and get started, and everything just kind of took off from there. 
So, and I want, I think that's important because I, I did dig up a few employment statistics and, you know, certainly I invite both you, Barbara and Ted, to correct me throughout this entire show um, if, you know, anything I say is inaccurate. Because my goal today, really, for the listeners, for, your, for employers, for, you know, um, whether your family members or people who are, are, are just unaware of this, my goal today is really to raise awareness. And, and on that note, please give us a call if you're listening, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We'd love to take your questions, your comments, your feedback. And, um, you know, trust me when I say that, that, you know, I know it's hard to reach out and ask a question, especially if it's something you don't know a lot about. But that's the whole point of today's show is really about growing and about about looking at um, looking at the world from a different perspective because because we know every day it's changing. So 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So, so here are the employment stats, Barbara, that I have found and that 15 to 16 percent uh, there's 15 to 16 percent full-time employment rate for individuals with high-functioning autism and Asperger's, and six percent of full-time employment rate for individuals with, with what they're calling classic autism, and then 80 percent live as a dependent with family members throughout their life. There's also a high rate of turnover in companies, um, fragmented work histories, and, and, and things of that nature, which makes it very difficult for them to build a you know stable career trajectory. So, I mean, I, I'm seeing like a lot of these statistics and saying, wow, we need we need more people like you, Barbara. <laughs> we do. I think so. And, you know, but an, another piece, and I think uh, now we're just starting to see this issue, though, coming on the radar of employers. And I think that's the other piece here is we need a lot more employer education to understand how do I evaluate the skills and ability all right, of individuals, and particularly when we're talking about those who are, you know, at the Asperger's end in competitive employment. And I have so many people in my practice, young people who have college degrees, but they can't get through the interview and get hired. All right, or they have a difficulty in the workplace of really understanding the expectations of an employer. And I want to, I want to, just as we're kind of in the still beginning stages of the show, kind of ask a question of, you know, so, so Ted, I've seen, um, you know, in the DSM-5, for example, which is the, the uh, manual that psychologists use, they've actually removed Asperger's and they've kind of put everything under what they call autistic spectrum disorders. I know they haven't done that in the medical community. So, um, you know, Barbara, as you're using the term Asperger's and we're hearing autism, I think one of the questions many people might have is like, are these different? Are these the same? Are these like, you know, what are we talking about here? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Like I mentioned before, it's a really, really broad spectrum. And you mentioned classic autism as well, which is another term that um, sometimes is used But the idea is that um, there's a huge amount of diversity among people on the spectrum, including um, in terms of intellectual functioning. <clears throat> About 60 to 65 percent of people on the spectrum are um, uh, functioning in the typical intellectual range, but about 30 percent have intellectual disability. So it's a really, really broad spectrum. <clears throat> One way that uh, People have often used the term Asperger syndrome as to, or high-functioning autism, which many people don't like now, but is to refer to that part of the spectrum that is functioning in the typical intellectual range who are not intellectually disabled. Um, <clears throat> so that's one issue. And these terms um, have been have sort of come into fashion at certain part, certain times and have fallen out of fashion. I think the current thought with the DSM-5 is that it's difficult to make a clear distinction between what was called Asperger's syndrome and other, um, let's say, types of autism where people are not intellectually disabled. And so the the current thinking is it's one large spectrum, and we should refer to it as autism spectrum disorder or the autism spectrum. Okay. So, and that's really helpful to know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, even the fact that, that so terms like um, high-functioning autism, that's out. This, I mean, are there other terms that people need to be aware of that, you know, this is this is not what we're talking about here? I think that the term high-functioning autism is, is not liked by a number of people because it just implies that the other part of the group is low-functioning, which mm-hmm. is somehow, you know, people don't like that term. Um, I think that uh, one way to look at it is that it's a very, very broad spectrum with a lot of uh, heterogeneity. And 
people have different patterns of strengths and, and weaknesses, or, or let's not let's say challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and there's this whole concept of uh, neurodiversity that, um, you know, rather than looking at this as a disability or uh, something like that, that there are different patterns of sort of cognitive styles, and there are different areas where people really have talents and stand out. So there's different patterns of abilities, let's say. So this term neurodiversity, and I've been tweeting about this this morning, for those of you who follow um, me on Twitter, is, you know, it's come up in the Harvard Business Review. I mean, it's coming Mm -hmm. up a lot more. And um, so what does that encompass? Because Mm -hmm. I think that's broader than spectrum Mm -hmm. disorders. Yeah. So it could be a whole host of um, sort of developmental issues, including autism spectrum disorders, but also attention deficit uh, disorder and, and others. Um, <clears throat> and I think the idea, yeah, I actually have the article here, this neurodiversity as a competitive advantage by Robert Austin and mm-hmm. Gary Pisano in the May-June 2017 yep. Harvard Business Review. <clears throat> and the idea is that um, that people have these different patterns of abilities and that if, we, if, if employers um, are not sort of tapping into uh, – a population of potential employees who have certain talents but may have difficulty, let's say, in job interviews yep. and some of the social skills that are demanded of people in job interviews that they may never get a foot in the door for employment. And then the, the company ends up losing out on the talent that those individuals may have in various areas. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> if you're just tuning in, we are talking about uh, autism spectrum disorders. We have two fantastic and knowledgeable guests. Barbara Bissonnette is certified coach and principal of forward motion coaching. And Dr. Ted Bratkin is a professor of psychiatry and the founder of the Adult Autism Spectrum Program here at the University of Pennsylvania. And we are taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844 I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and I'm going to put it out there. Most people shy away from things they don't know. I think it's human nature, and I think, Mm -hmm. you know, in some ways, you know, as a psychiatrist, it's our brain's way of protecting us. Uh, Avoidance is a very strong cognitive uh, distortion that we <laughs> that we right. engage to reduce our anxiety. Um, but here's the thing. If you're just tuning in, I urge you to call. I urge you to, if you have a question, if you're not sure, call and ask a question. Be curious. Expand your worldview because you're missing out if you're not. And yeah, it's a little scary. But here's what I always say. Follow your fear. Follow your fear because it will always guide you to growth. 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So now that we've kind of defined some of the terms, um, so, so Barbara, where do employers get it wrong? <laughs> I know, you're I like, we can spend extra- the rest of the show on that answer. <laughs> yeah. um, but just to, to say one thing, though, when we're talking about the, the defining terms, you know, my experience is that Asperger's syndrome is continuing, though, to be used as a descriptor, just so we understand, you know, who we're talking about because we have now this spectrum that is so broad. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. Um, and I just think for employers, you know, when we think about, uh, you know, I think there's more awareness, all right, of Asperger's syndrome, autism spectrum in the workplace partly because so many people now have some kind of connection. I know of someone, mm-hmm. right, who is on this spectrum. Yep. But I don't think that awareness necessarily translates to real understanding. Agreed. Right, about how do I create a work environment that will be conducive to this person's success? How do I look beyond, you know, like the interviews, we tend to be sorting for a lot of social savviness. Mm-hmm. Right. And people who are going to, you know, work really well on teams and have all of these strong interpersonal skills and not realizing now we can look at people on the spectrum who maybe don't have the strong interpersonal skills, but may have a lot of technical expertise that they can bring to a job and be really valuable to an employer and and a lot of the uh, as I was doing the research, I mean, they talk about individuals who are, you know are not diagnosed, but I mean, they think might have been, um, you know, on the spectrum. Steve Jobs or, or or Albert Einstein or Tesla, you know, I mean, and you think about wow, you know, some of these incredible things that that uh, if if you're just basing it on an interview and your ability to be charismatic in an interview, you're really losing out. 
and, and I think that's what we do. And, you know, here's the deal. Like, I will say I'm guilty of that. I mean, one of the things we talk about on the show constantly is networking and all mm-hmm. that. And, yeah, those things are important. But there are additional things that are important. Uh, hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. We're taking your calls live at 844-WARTON. That's 844-942-7866. And we are going to go to Sam in Tennessee. Sam, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today? No, thank you for for having the show about this. My uh, daughter was recently diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder level one. Uh, she's 15 years old and had a lot of difficulties lately going into adolescence. And uh, so my question is, and the question for my wife and I is, you know, what are her career options and, you know, how, how, how does she go about as far as looking into that? Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead, Ted. Um, you know, what I would say to people generally, um, I think it's great that um, um, that she's gotten the diagnosis by age 15 or earlier. And um, I think it's never too early to start in middle school or high school to start working with um, ideally people at the school, if they're available, who can um, <clears throat> start um working with her to develop some ideas about career directions and maybe, you know, post-secondary education um, and developing her talents with an eye toward career development. It's it's a process that I think the earlier you start with, the better. Mm-hmm. Barbara, what, what's your advice for Sam? Yeah, and I think even looking at things now of, you know, being involved in activities where you even can be thinking about some of the basic work readiness skills such as being able to, you know, function well enough in a group with other people, right, or having, um, you know, I have to be someplace at a certain time, right, and participating. So even looking at maybe, uh, you know, there's some, you know, clubs you could be involved in or, uh, you know, I, I know people, for example, if you have an interest in theater, maybe they were started out, they were working behind the scenes on the crew, but you're starting to learn some of these real readiness skills that I think is you know, critical for any kind of job and paid employment you're going to have in the future. Yeah, and I agree. And I, I think it's maybe a combination of identifying talents and interests and developing those as much as, as you can. Um, and at the same time, looking at what are areas of more difficulty um, for your child. So um, as Barbara mentioned, in some cases, it might be what we call executive functioning, like planning and, you know, keeping a calendar and, and things like that and staying organized. Or it might be social skills or, you know, various things like that. So both developing and encouraging talents and interests, but also providing some support for developing skills that um, don't come as easily. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great point because I, as I was doing this research, Sam, I mean, I'm I'm learning about a lot of this now. I mean, uh, and I have a great friend and mentor uh, in Minnesota. His name's Art. I'm going to give him a shout out because he's been really helping to kind of expand my mind this week and and in some ways give me some some really direct feedback about how I'm screwing things up, which I appreciate. And I will say, hey, if, for all of you out there, if you don't have somebody like Art in your life, you need that because <laughs> because he helps me grow every day. So thanks, Art. But one of the, the people in this field, and I'm, I'm sure Barbara and Ted, you've heard of uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, and I've watched a series of her TED Talks and, and read her websites, but I think she's got so much great information. And Sam, one of the things that I pulled from that, and this is kind of tagging on to what what Ted just said, is that, yeah, um, you know, she was talking a lot about how they're taking things out of school like shop and, and art and, you know, some of these areas where individuals with autistic spectrum disorder really excel and so, you know, if, if you're just kind of doing doing things like math and, and you know, or, or even like geometry and, and stuff like that, certain types of math. And so I think one of the pieces of her advice that I thought was phenomenal is, is really see what your daughter is drawn to. Is it geometry? Is it is it visuals? Is it, um, you know, different types of music or uh, electronics or things like that? Because I think what what I took away from from Dr. Temple Grandin is that that once you kind of find that thing <laughs> That like mm-hmm. really taps into your strengths. I mean, the the world is yours to change. So that's one of the things that I would recommend. Go ahead. Yeah, and um, she, uh, Dr. Temple Grandin, has a book called Developing Talents, which I would really recommend, in which she talks about this issue of developing career directions by looking at the person's talents and really encouraging them 
and developing them. It, it's true that a lot of schools have cut back on things like art and music, which personally I think is is too bad. But um, any ways in which people have an opportunity to develop those talents that might lead to a career direction is great. And, you know, one, one thing that I would also say about even going back for one second to the defining um, quote-unquote symptoms or, or traits of autism spectrum disorder, one of the things that's listed under restricted and repetitive behaviors is a highly focused restricted interest, let's say. But, you know, there's two ways to look at that. You could look at that as a symptom that's part of a quote-unquote disability or um, if someone has a really focused, strong interest in some area, that could potentially be a strength or a talent that could be developed into a career direction. Mm-hmm. Sam, thank I you. agree with that. Uh, if I could just jump in, though. Of course, Barbara. Um, because I do think, though, now a caution is that, yes, you want to consider absolutely someone's interest, and it's true that some people on the spectrum have created really rewarding careers based on this area of special interest, but I think it's a mistake to put all of the emphasis and make the assumption that just because I follow this interest, it means that I will be able to manage jobs that are going to be available to me in a particular field. Mm-hmm. So I just like to caution people, also do your research and really look at if I pursue this area, what are the jobs I'm qualified to do, the primary tasks, and what kind of abilities does a person need to have or acquire? And can my son or daughter, you know, manage what's going to be asked for me if I'm, you know, the goal here is employment? I agree. And it's important to be realistic and to be kind of systematic in your approach. Yeah. And Sam, there's a great article that I read in preparing for the show called Choosing the the Right Job for People um, with Autism. And I, it's again, Dr. Temple Grandin, who is the, the authority on this. And I, I think it just, like I said, it, it kind of mapped out all of these different jobs and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about it later on the show but you know if you're visual here are good jobs that that would be a good fit and here are jobs that wouldn't because of the environment or things like that so I think it'd be worth taking a look at uh Sam, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, if you're just tuning in, we are talking today about autism spectrum disorders in the workplace and employment. And we have two great guests with us today, Barbara Bissonette, who is a career coach, and Dr. Ted Brockin, who is a psychiatrist. And we're going to go to Kathy in Texas. Kathy, welcome to the show. What's on your mind today? Thank you so much. I just joined, uh, just joined into the show, so I, I hope you haven't covered this yet. But number one, I want to give hope to moms and dads everywhere because our son, who is almost 25 now, was diagnosed with Asperger's in kindergarten, very socially backwards, just did not know how to, how to make friends, and bright kid. But, but I, at that time, and especially through middle school, I would have given up much of his intelligence if he could just figure out how to make a friend, get invited to a party, et cetera, et cetera. But what I, but, but what I do want to say is just continue to work with that child. Um, they will get it. They're smart kids. Um, my question for you, and well, here's my question. He, he went on, uh, got his undergrad in actuarial science because he's a numbers guy, science, math and science guy, just got his master's and has just gotten his first job, which is great. But um, I believe, and actually he does too, that he was passed over several jobs because he doesn't interview well. He, he does not understand um, some of the unspoken social cues that are necessary. And so my question is, should he tell a potential employer when he goes in for a face-to-face interview? Because he does pretty well on the, the, the initial phone interviews. And then he goes in for a face-to-face and um, didn't get much further after that. Should he tell an employer that he's got this diagnosis of Asperger's? Is it going to, in some way, be a negative for him? Kathy, this Um, is such a great question, and we haven't gotten to this, but it was on our list to get to. So let's let's just dive into this right now because... Yeah, I mean, this is an important question. Should in the interview, should you disclose this information? And Barbara, I'm gonna, I'm, there, I don't know that there's any right or wrong answer to this, but obviously there there are, are pros and cons and different uh, perspectives. So, Barbara, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, so I think um, you know it is an individual decision, and a lot depends on a particular person and his or her situation. 
during an interview, I think if someone has challenges that are very noticeable, they're hard to control, uh, if you don't say anything, I think people can read a lot into someone not, for example, making enough eye contact, right? And that can appear to an interviewer. Well, they're not really interested in this job. They don't want to be here, all right, or some of these other things. So for some people, disclosing can make the difference between being able to really talk about all my abilities once the employer understands. If I see these certain behaviors, I'm not going to read any kind of, you know, ill intention into them. Mm-hmm. All right. But, and for some people, though, who can do pretty well in an interview, it might just be what I call a soft disclosure. So you might say something like, you know, just give me a couple minutes or, or a few moments to, you know, think about a response to your question. So I think you want to say how noticeable, how big a challenge, and then make a decision. Because the con is... Uh, you know, that someone could feel nervous about hiring someone with a disability and say, gee, if it doesn't work out, you know, am I going to be sued if I have to let the person go? So it's still not a, a perfect world. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So, there, so, so Barbara, your key point is it, it kind of maybe depends on, on where they are on the spectrum. And Ted, what are your thoughts? Um, I basically agree with, with what Barbara said. Um, <clears throat> I think it's... Um, it's a personal decision depending on um, how someone feels and, and does in job interviews. Um, um, sometimes people really work hard to kind of increase their eye contact. And I've, I've seen a number of patients who've um, sort of almost self-coached, if not gotten coaching from others or been in social skills groups um, and have developed more of an ability to make some eye contact and shake hands and so on. Um, <clears throat> and so... Um, they may choose not to disclose, but if they still have great difficulty with these things, it may make sense. I think it's a personal decision. It might depend on the employer and the state and and so on, some of these decisions about disclosure and the, the, the laws in your area and the company's policies and so on. I mean, one question I would ask to um, to Barbara is, is, do you disclose in the midst of the interview or before the interview? Do you have any thoughts on that, Barbara? Well, yeah, I think so. Uh, I've had some clients who will disclose right up front in a cover letter. They're sending in a, a, a you know, a, a resume, or maybe they need assistance putting in an application. Mm. All right, and others who sometimes in an interview, if you decide that you want to do this, typically the first question is something like, "Tell me about yourself." Right? So that might be a, a good opening to say, you know, talk about strengths. And by the way, I'm on the autism spectrum and speak, you know, in, in general terms about how it might impact you, but mm-hmm. not getting into, you know, long quoting from the DSM and these long explanations. Right. Hey, if you've got an opinion on this, if you're listening, give us a call, 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. We'd love for you to, to join in with us. Um, Barbara Bissonnette and, and Dr. Ted Rotkin, you're listening to Career Talk. Hey, thank you for the call. That's such an important question, and we are going we are going to get to that. And once we, we do have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I definitely want to talk more about the actual like interview process and, and how um, you know individuals can, can think about if they want to do things, for example, like disclose and how employers can be more open to, uh, you know, different types of, of traits and personalities that walk through the door. So I think that's an important topic to get to. But before we do that, we will go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Yes, there's always a quiz. So, hey, if you're lucky enough to have a specific variant of the BHLHE41 gene, you may be genetically resistant to this. If you're lucky enough to have a variant of the BHLHE41 gene, you may be genetically resistant to this. Think you know? Give us a call on Career Talk, 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM, Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand.
Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider. We are in business radio and we are powered by the Wharton School, Series XM, Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, Career Director for the Wharton MBA Program for Executives. We have the Dream Team, Michelle and Dion, taking your calls all hour, 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we have two fantastic guests here with us today on Career Talk. Barbara Bissonette is a certified coach and the principal of Forward Motion Coaching, and she is also the author of The Complete Guide to Getting a Job for People with Asperger's Syndrome. And hey, Barbara, can you let us know where people can reach you if they'd like more information after the show? Absolutely. My website is www.forwardmotion.info, I-N-F-O. Perfect. And we also have in studio Dr. Ted Brotkin, who is a professor of psychiatry and the director and founder of the Adult Autism Spectrum Program right here at the University of Pennsylvania. Ted, where can people reach you if they want more information? Um, They can reach the Adult Autism Spectrum Program at 215-746-4100, or they can go on the website. Um, They can basically Google Adult Autism Spectrum Program, University of Pennsylvania. Perfect. Thank you both. And we're going to go right to a call. Dan in California, welcome to Career Talk. What's on your mind today, Dan? Oh, hi. Um, I have a 21-year-old son, and I'm not sure if he has autism. He's socially awkward, good kid, plays uh, soccer for Fullerton, um, but has always had a difficult time connecting with people. Are there any signs I can look out for? Because I've never had him diagnosed. Yeah, so so Dan, I'm sure this is a question that a lot of listeners are um, have. Uh, so you know, Ted, um, obviously you can't <laughs> you can't mm-hmm. diagnose over the radio, but but what are some things that people who may have a similar question to Dan? What what kind of next steps can they do? Yeah, I agree. I, I can't diagnose on the radio, but um, I mean, really, if ultimately, if people want to get a, a a sure answer, it would be good to go to a psychiatrist or psychologist or some sort of um, clinical person who could do an evaluation. But in general, um, the if you know the the symptoms begin really early in life, it's an early onset developmental um, issue. So if you think back to age four or five years old, three, four, five, some of these kinds of behaviors were probably present back then if they're on the autism spectrum. And um, generally, it's things like making less eye contact when they're really young uh, infants, like not pointing to things to show you. Um, not as they get into childhood a bit, not seeming to pick up on social cues or use nonverbal social cues, kind of eye contact, body language, tone of voice in a typical way. Um, and then it may be this pattern of repetitive motor behaviors or restricted interests or um, real sensitivities to sensory stimuli, things like that. If, if, if you've noticed symptoms like that going on for most of their lives, then it might be worth um, getting them evaluated. Mm-hmm. And when you say um, getting evaluated, uh, Ted, by mm-hmm. a psychologist or a psychiatrist, are, are, um, would you recommend that Dan find somebody who specializes the, in this? Or, you know, a lot of people might go to their general practitioner, for example, and, and are they skilled enough to know, um, you know, to point people in the right direction? I would generally recommend trying to find someone who's experienced in doing diagnostic evaluations for people on the spectrum. And, um <clears throat> I think um, the caller mentioned uh, their child was 21. Mm -hmm. And so ideally it would be someone who's used to doing diagnoses in young adults. Mm -hmm. Great. Dan, thank you so much for that important question. I know that a lot of listeners had that question as well. And, hey, if you're just tuning in and you are curious, you have a tip, um, or you have a, a question about this, whether you're an employer who's who's hiring, um, you know, or a colleague, we'd like to hear from you at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. But before we do that, I want to answer our pre-break quiz, um, which is if you're lucky enough to have a specific variant of the BHL. HE41 gene, you may be genetically resistant to this. And Dion told me at break that he has got the answer. So, of course, we're going to start with him. I do have the answer. All right. And you didn't Google it, did you? No. Okay. I probably should have. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think about that until just now. Um, I'm going to say bug bites. 
So you're genetically resistant to bug bites, meaning yes. what? That if they bite you, nothing happens, or they just don't bite you? You're asking, which means I'm Why wrong. Why are you clarifying? <laughs> now, now I, I know I'm wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Wait, it, now it, you know? <laughs> I, I, I felt confident. I, I, would, I would guess. If you're lucky enough, that's not it. But I would I would definitely like that. Because my, my little hint at the break was I would like to have this. Michelle? Yeah. So at that point, I thought I was still on track. But then you said, I live for this. So I was like, "This is t- that's too exaggerant for what I was thinking. Um, I was thinking maybe you're resistant to body odor. Wait, you got that from me saying <laughs> I live for no, this? No, no, no. That's what threw me off. Wait a minute. <laughs> I know that's- this is radio, but... <laughs> Jeez, I don't know how to take that. That's what threw me off because I was like, I don't think, I don't think Don struggles with that too much. So too much. I, must too much. Be I think we should just stop talking now. Jeez. <laughs> too That's much. my answer. Yeah, I mean that you don't struggle with it at all. Obviously. It, uh, all right, let's just be done with Ever. this. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna. You smell fantastic <laughs> today. Did I tell I you smell that? Fantastic. <laughs> I do smell fantastic. You do. By the way. Delicious. Like cupcakes. <laughs> God, we need to stop. <laughs> we need to stop. All right, I'm just going to answer this because we have... Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dion. If you're lucky enough to have a variant of this gene, BHLHE41, you are genetically resistant to the effects of sleep deprivation, uh. which means you can sleep less than the average person while still enjoying all the benefits of a full eight hours of sleep. So people with this condition are called short, it's called short sleeper syndrome. Now, who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want to be able to be like, yeah, four hours of sleep and I'm done and I... I would that would it. be awesome. Yeah. I'd hit this news button so, like, maybe three times instead of six times. Like... <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess I guess if I had that, I can shower more or something to combat my other issues. But oh, there you go. It's a win-win. Yeah, really. Now I can shower four times a day. All right. Well, let's get back to something <laughs> else. Just else. Anything else. But I do. No, I really do want to talk about employment because this show, obviously, Career Talk is all about employment. And I think there's two sides to this. First, I'm, um, there's obviously the employer side, and I, there's a lot I want to say about the employer side because as somebody who interviews and has interviewed, I am quite certain that I have made this mistake at some point in, in my 25-year my career. So I think it's really important. But let's first start with candidates who are on, have a spectrum disorder because we've already talked about should they disclose. So let's talk a little bit about um, what are some of the ways that individuals, Barbara, can succeed uh, in the interview that maybe they're, they're not thinking of. I think one thing that's important is to really you know, um, whether you're working with someone or, you know, you have a a friend, someone who would be knowledgeable, but to begin by really thinking about, you know, some of these common questions and understanding what is the employer really looking for. All right, so you understand, uh, for example, if they say, you know, where do you want to be in five years? I've had people who answer this based on geography, Right, one woman said, "Well, Boston. I don't want to move." <laughs> uh, so to really think about what are they looking for, and when I'm working with clients, we start with the content of you know what are two or three main points for all of these anticipated questions, and what are up to three points that I'm going to make to respond, and then we start working on the language, and then we start the practice out loud. Right, of how would I actually respond to a question, and then we move on to doing the role play. Mm-hmm. But because these individuals tend to be so literal when they're hearing language, a lot of times what trips them up is they don't understand the question. So, yeah, so and I like your example of, you know, where do you want to be in five years and, you know, Boston. I mean, that I, I think that that just like blew my mind in terms of like being able to understand this so so how would you recommend somebody um on the spectrum answer that or should they ask for clarification i mean to me this would kind of be a question like this which we know you know is going to come up for many many jobs it's a really common question i think someone really needs to prepare beforehand 
all right, as a lot of us do. I remember when I had corporate jobs and in my career, I would really practice, you know, responding to questions, thinking about what might they ask. I think the difference for someone on the spectrum, I have handouts, I'll tell my clients, I want you to read about these questions and, you know, what are they looking for? Here's some ways you can think about responding. But see, the key is, I think for people on the spectrum, really need someone then to say, how do I apply this information to my particular situation? Mm-hmm. So I'll brainstorm with people. I'll say, right, what are your thoughts about what you would say? And then I can give them some feedback to say, well, maybe that's not quite what they're asking. Maybe you're being too honest within the context yes. of an interview. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's another one. Yeah, the two on it. So I like the idea of practicing, and I think that's that's kind of key is going through it. So this isn't the first time you do it. I like um. So uh, Temple Grandin also talked about something that I thought was was a simple but but really helpful solution was she talked about creating a portfolio and that you know you really need to sell your work not you know sell yourself whereas a lot of interview coaching has to do about you know selling yourself and you know likability and charisma and all this stuff and and you know she really turned it around saying look sell your work put together a portfolio of whether it's electronics or or art or whatever it is that that your specialty is and really sell that work and that's when things change so I want to shift because I know where the the hours going by really quickly quickly. And I want to talk about challenges in the workplace, because one of the things that I, I read when I was researching this is that the National Autistic Society uh, is asking everyone to make one small change to reduce the overload for artistic individuals. And, you know, what can you do? And I thought that was really profound, whether you're a hirer, um, whether you're a recruiter, whether you're a colleague, whether you're a boss, um, you know, how can you create a space and, you know, take your level of understanding up even just a notch. And there's a number, I think, of different things that you could do, you know, all the way from the interview to when you're working with employees. So, so Ted, what are some of the things that, you know, for our people who are listening, who are employers and maybe not as, as aware or knowledgeable about this, what are some things they can do? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great question, because I think that, you know, we've been talking about the job interview, which is super important, of course. And getting initially hired and getting a foot in the door. But then there's the issue. Let's say um, someone is hired. Um, <clears throat> then there, that's great news. But then there's a new set of challenges of being in the workplace. And um, both for the individual on the spectrum and also for an employer, let's say an sort of enlightened employer who wants to make an environment where this person or people can succeed. So some of the issues, there's a couple of issues um, at least. One is um, might be sensory issues in the workplace. Many people on the spectrum have difficulties with sensory overload, and um, it could be sound, it could be light, it could be various things. So, so um, thinking about creating an environment where um, a person on the spectrum can get um, the level of sensory input that's comfortable for them, if possible. Um, then there's the, also the whole social dynamics at the workplace, as, as many of us are familiar with, office politics and mm-hmm. things like that and dealing with your boss and dealing with your coworkers. And um, this can be a real challenge for, for uh, folks on the spectrum um, and also handling the day-to-day stresses of the workplace. I've had a number of patients who um, have you know, been really fortunate. To, um, they've gotten a job. Um, maybe it's the job they were always hoping for, something like that, and then – at a certain point, they got feedback from a boss that was somewhat critical. It didn't sound to me like it was terribly critical. They weren't at risk of being fired or anything like that. But um, <clears throat> the person became so stressed by this and didn't know how to handle it and didn't know how to talk about it with their boss that they just quit, and which was almost tragic that they you know lost this job at that point. So I think that um, you know any ways that we can help. Uh, folks on the spectrum who do have jobs to navigate the world of work mm-hmm. in the workplace, all these issues. And it can just be asking. I mean, asking, um, what do you need to be successful? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it's a 15-minute check-in meeting every day, and that's what somebody needs. Maybe it's more direction. So, you know, one of the things that I've learned is that it's it's important to be very specific. So, you know, you can't just say, go do this. Mm-hmm. You know, you say, here are the specifications. Here's what I'm, I'm looking for. And that could be tremendous. It could be, as you talked about, um, Ted, the the sensory environment. Can you can you be 
in a quieter place or can you reduce the the noise or maybe you're sitting next to the kitchen and the odors from the microwave like which which bother me like I mean it's you know there's all this stuff right, that right. like it could be such an easy fix and sometimes you just have to ask yeah and another thing that I think can be really helpful sometimes is to have a kind of peer mentor in the workplace so mm-hmm. And some programs, like you mentioned earlier, I think you mentioned Special Esterna. Yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's a tough one to spell, so I will tweet it at Dr. Don Graham. But um, this is an important website for employers, you know, who are looking to broaden their knowledge and, and hire differently. Mm-hmm. So so please, go ahead, Ted. Yeah, and so that's a um, a company, Special Esterna, that is uh, – putting various programs in place to help uh, people on the spectrum to uh, succeed in the workplace. And and they've partnered with several companies, including SAP. And one of the things they set up in the workplace is a peer mentorship program. And I think mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, navigating office politics and so on and just the workplace environment, it, it's super helpful. And I've seen that even just happen informally um, with – patients of mine. Yeah. And, and the specialist earn it. So you mentioned um, SAP, but I mean, this company, which I, I think came out, uh, started in 2004, um, I think it, it, a Danish individual started it. And I mean, now there are companies, JP Morgan Chase, Microsoft, Oliver Wyman, uh, Towers Watson, IBM, I mean, P, PwC, Capital One. I mean, there are a ton of companies partnering uh, with this organization, and I, I feel like they're going to be the ones that get ahead because when you create a diverse workforce, and you know, diversity meaning a lot of different things, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. So if you are an employer and you're you're saying, "Wow, you know, I've I've neglected this topic, and it's time to address it," uh, that's a great website. So Specialist Erna and I will I will go ahead and uh, tweet out the exact link because that's a that's a tough one so so as we're wrapping up here uh barbara and ted and uh you know talking about like this this one thing that really jumped out at me about what is one small change that any listener can do to make a difference um whether it's a hiring or a colleague or or you know an employer um uh, any relationship so so barbara i'm gonna go ahead and give you the floor i feel like i'm gonna ask you in 30 seconds what's one small thing people are listening can do differently to help I think it's important to recognize this basic profile. So if you're noticing someone comes in for an interview, they have a strong background, they're you know, a little awkward with the social skills, to maybe say, not to be trying to diagnose people, but to say, you know what, maybe there's something else uh, going on here. I'll go past that and not be making these decisions based on social savviness, And I think in the workplace, when I know I have someone who's qualified and I'm seeing they're struggling, they're not understanding the expectations, maybe they are, you know, missing some social filtering, turning people off, making some, you know, very blunt comments, don't presume it's an attitude or a behavior problem. So, you know, maybe I sit down with this person, find out what was your intention, Uh, maybe we didn't explain something to you concretely enough so that you really understand we have to go back, invest a little more time to then have a really loyal employee. Mm-hmm. So, yep, I um, appreciate that. Ted, last word. We've got, we've got 30 seconds. <laughs> Basically, I agree with Barbara, and I think that if people can educate themselves about um, folks on the spectrum to better understand them, and then they'll realize that they have many talents and uh, you know, many things to offer in the workplace. Mm-hmm. So um, I want to thank you both. Uh, Barbara Bissonette, Principal of Forward Motion Coaching, Dr. Ted Brocken, who is the director and founder of the Autism Spectrum Program at the University of Pennsylvania. I have learned so much, and I really appreciate your candidness, your patience, and um, the work that you're doing every day to to educate the world. So, um, hey, Michelle and Dion, the dream team, the, the team that, uh, that I've learned a lot about today um, <laughs> with the quiz answers. <laughs> thank you for making this an awesome show. And, of course, to all of our listeners – uh, we appreciate it. And don't forget, next week, October 19th, is our 100th show. We have lots of fun things planned. If you have anything to contribute or add or tips, we'd love to hear from you at Dr. Don Graham. But in the meantime, follow your fear, open your mind, go be great. And thank you for tuning in to Career Talk. We'll see you next time. 